This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grog, your wail. From giants right down to fairies, above the drooping and solitary, and close to my sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 177 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we have a serendipitous story for being episode 177. This is the legend of the Seven Sisters. But first, a very big welcome and in indeed new welcome to any new or returning listeners, however one that makes sense. Um, this is a bit of a break in the mould, a little break of my own rules of Fireside, as this is a story uh, not from Celtic uh, myth or legend or folklore or history. Uh, this is a more of a universal story, but specifically the version I'm adapting is Aboriginal. This is a story from Western Australia. Um, however, I hope you will soon see the reason why I feel it is valid to cover this on my little Irish storytelling podcast because I always wanted this podcast to be a storytelling podcast first first and foremost and focusing on the Celtic and the Irish secondary Um, but I've always wanted to do a story like this because as regular listeners will know I've been in Australia for the past few months this is my third time working down here and as as of yet not covered any stories of the folklore mythology um of even of the Irish settlers who have been in this country uh, for for a good few hundred years now, but it wouldn't be right to could do that without doing a story from the people that have been here for tens of thousands of years, the longest continuous culture in the world, which is the Aborig- Aboriginal people of Australia. And I was in when we were in Darwin a couple of months ago, right at the very north in the Northern Territory. Um, where it's very, very hot. Um, I went into an Aboriginal art gallery called the Mason Gallery uh, in Darwin and I was just looking at some of the absolutely incredible artwork and the curator in there was very kind. He chatted to us and explained some of the symbols to, to recognise across different artwork. Um, it was really, really useful. But he had a little section on books, um, so I was looking for some books on Aboriginal folklore and mythology because I knew little bits about the dream time, which is the Aboriginal belief of like what existed before the world, that there was just this great dreaming. Um, looking for something like that, I asked this guy's advice, and he said that this story was one of the most important ones. And as I read it, I started to recognize elements of it, and turns out this is one of the world's great 
stories in terms of how many different cultures that this pops up in so it seemed perfect to adapt on fireside when we had this little gap after the end of um the battle of entry last week um, and before we continue look at our fenian tales and as we finished adapting stories from beside the fireside by douglas hyde it seemed a little bit of a random place to put it in i would rather when it's a significant break in tradition story like this i like to put it you know, ideally rounding out like episode 180 or 190 or something. But then again, it is the story of Seven Sisters, so what better number than 177? So this version uh, that I adapted from is actually from, uh, it's a children's storybook written by May L. O'Brien and illustrated by Sue Wyatt for Aboriginal Studies Press. You can buy this online. Um, I can, I'll put the link in the description below. Um, this because it is a beautiful book and it's particularly used here in Australia um, to young school children as ways of explaining about the people and the culture. Uh, this version, just to be specific, is um, from the Wangutha people who came from all over the eastern gold fields uh, to live at Mount Margaret Mission in Western Australia, not to just blanket all of the Aboriginal people. That is the specific uh, people that this version of this story comes from. Interestingly, this art curator I was speaking to in the Mason Gallery uh, spoke about how there is the male version of this story and the female version um, I selected to get the female version. This book, uh, there was different books on it, and this story, this version was the female version. Um, I think you will see from it um, the possibilities of a male version of this. Uh, but I think I've, I think I made the right choice with the, this version of it. But we'll chat more about all of that afterwards. But this is the legend of the Seven Sisters on Fireside. <laughs> The Seven Sisters Long ago, perhaps further back than just about any other story, when only the Aboriginal people lived on the massive continent island of Australia, there lived a group of people called the Yayars. The Yayar men were a small and hairy people who would travel all around to the many varied tribes of Australia, and their favourite means of travel was by the Milky Way. The Yayar would ascend into the heavens and travel across the stars. This way they could watch all over the massive coastlines, feral bush and colossal outback. One day, a group of seven tall and beautiful women sought to visit Earth. They were known as the Seven Sisters. There was a plateau in what is now Leonora in the goldfields of Western Australia where they intended to land. But this landing place was full of Yayar men, chatting, playing and fighting with each other. The seven sisters were very sad to not be able to land and they began to cry. This hill was named Yabu Yolonga, which means the hill on which they cried. Eventually the sisters found another place to descend from the heavens and land on earth. From their plateau the Yayar men saw this incredible sight. None of them had ever seen creatures so tall, so majestic, or so beautiful. So the Yayar men decided they would band together and make the seven sisters their wives. The seven sisters, on the other hand, 
had no intention of becoming the wives of the eager Yayar men, and despite the small stature of their pursuers, the sisters were still intimidated by them. So they decided they would stick together and walk as fast as they could. The seven sisters walked from the goldfields across the bush with the Yayar men struggling to keep up behind. Eventually, the wannabe husbands gave up their pursuit and decided to go home. All of them except, that is, for one. One last Yayar man desperately wanted a wife and was totally enamored by the seven sisters. So he said to the others to go home and that he would remain behind. The Yayar man was determined, but he was also afraid of the godlike seven sisters. So while he kept them in his sights, he was very careful to keep his distance and remain as quiet as possible. He watched where he placed his feet, not to step on any animals or dead leaves or to alert the sisters and scare them off. Once the seven sisters saw the large group of Yayar men leaving, they were delighted that they did not have to worry anymore, and they slowly began to let their guard down. But the long trek through the bush and into the outback began to take its toll on the celestial seven sisters, and one grew very thirsty and separated from the group to find some water. The Yayar man grew excited as he felt that his wife had chosen herself for him. Now I'll have a chance to see if she likes me, he said to himself. The Yayar remained quiet, but began to move quicker after the lone sister, who still did not notice that she was being followed. So focused was she on quenching her thirst. The sister climbed down a hill and came across a natural clay hollow in the ground with a hard, flat, sun-baked surface known as a clay pan. The sister knew water was close and hurried to the sound of the faintest trickle from the nearby creek. She got down on her knees, and with her hands cupped in front of her, the sister allowed the water to cool her hands as it filled them, before she splashed the water on her face and felt the cool breeze as a result. As she drank, the sister felt she could once again enjoy the blasting heat and unique surroundings of the Australian outback. But as she relaxed, the sister heard a twig snap. Turning around, she suddenly saw the figure of the Yayar man. The sister looked at him, and the man smiled, but said nothing. He could not think of anything to say. The sister was frightened by this, and jumped up and determined to run away faster than she had ever run before. The sister ran across the clay pan, and back up the hill across the bush. Now that he had come so close, the Yayar man was not going to let his prospective wife go without chasing her. And despite his shorter size, the Yayar man gained on the sister. Try as she did to escape, the sister began to slow and gasp for breath, and the Yayar man grabbed her. Even though she had been caught, the sister was not going easily without a fight. She pulled away from the Yayar man and started to shout across the vast expanse. The shouts and screams frightened the man further. He didn't know what to do to make them stop. So he picked up a nearby stick and began to swing it at the sister. The woman moved just in time and dodged the stick. The Yayar man kept swinging, but the sister avoided every strike. 
Eventually, the sister broke free and ran with tears down her face back to the hill where her sisters and her had landed. But by the time she landed there, the six other sisters had already left the earth. They had waited for their seventh sister for as long as they could. They feared she had been lost. But they were also still frightened of the Yayar men, and they knew they would only be safe once they returned to the skies. The seventh sister broke down on her knees and began to cry. She didn't know what to do or where she could go. She stayed in that spot until nightfall, after which she looked up and saw six lights shining brighter than any others. They were her six sisters, and they were guiding her home. The seventh sister ascended back into the heavens and began her eternal journey to join her family. And if you look in the night sky today, you can still see six sisters burning brightly as stars. And although she is invisible to the naked eye, if you look very closely or have a very good telescope, you will be able to faintly see the seventh still trailing behind still in pursuit of her six sisters. This is a story from the Wangotha tribe of Western Australia. The Aboriginal people are the oldest continuous culture in the world, and yet the story of the Seven Sisters also exists in the cultures of the indigenous people of North America, the Japanese, where the Seven Sisters are known as Subaru, the Japanese word for unity. And if you are thinking of the car company, well then have a look at their logo the next time, and you may notice that it is in fact six stars. But it is the ancient Greeks that gave Europe its names for the Seven Sisters, or the Pleiades as they are also known. They were the seven daughters of the Titan Atlas, who after fighting against Zeus in the War of the Titans, was cursed to forever hold up the heavens on his shoulders. Without their father to protect them, the Pleiades were pursued by the hunter Orion. But the Sky Father Zeus took pity on the young women and raised them up as stars in the heavens to be closer to the protection of their father Atlas as he holds up in the skies, but always under pursuit from the hunter Orion. But of course, the Aboriginal people of Western Australia and the storytellers of ancient Greece had no possible way of being in contact with each other. This story is just one of many that exists by wonderful coincidence in many world cultures. But what makes this story, the story of the Seven Sisters, unique can be found not in storytelling or anthropology, but in astronomy. Astronomers think that the seventh star of the Pleiades constellation has moved behind another sister, and that 100,000 years ago all seven stars would have been visible to the naked eye. This claims that the story of the seven sisters in Australia could be over 100,000 years old, which could make it the oldest story of all time. The End.
Hello, my name is Dave Coffey and I am the host of Phoning It In, the hilarious improvised phone-in show. It's like Joe Duffy's Liveline, except we make it all up on the spot. That's right, I get a bunch of comedians into the studio and they have no idea what they're going to be talking about until I introduce them on the air. We have just recorded a 100th episode special featuring 15 of the best comedy performers in the country. Go and check that out, binge the other 99 and become a lifelong fan of Phoning It In with me, Dave Coffey, right here on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And that is the wonderful tale, the legend of the Seven Sisters on Fireside, and I hope you enjoyed it. There's, it's something incredible, isn't it, the possibility of this being one of, if not the oldest story in the world, because that's the frustrating thing about the oral tradition and the tradition of storytelling is the only real records that we have of how all the story actually is are at the point it was written down and it would have been written down so so recently uh, in the grand scheme of so many of these tales it's so easy like that the more i read about and research into the irish tales particularly you're shocked to realize how recent a lot of them i remember what was it it was the story of Oshin and Tirnanog, one of the most famous of all Irish stories and all stories in Celtic mythology that was only written down in the 12th or 13th century and 700 years seven eight hundred years might seem very very old but like it's very young in the grand scheme of mythologies um when it's proven that the Odyssey is what like three four thousand years old the epic of Gilgamesh considered the oldest written story of all time older than that again but this, the Legend of the Seven Sisters, has a claim to be 100,000 years old. And how, how could it possibly be that um, when, if not for written evidence, how else, or cave drawings, how can you possibly prove a story to be any older than that? Well, we of course have the great and persistent uh, Joseph Campbell-esque theory of the monomyth where every culture in the world has the same stories just because that's humanity and that's human beings and we all looked up and didn't know what the sun and the moon was and we all had to come up with different stories to find a meaning for life and an explanation for just about everything in existence when we didn't have anything else and that is where we created mythologies and stories and religions and everything and that that is why the same stories crop up more and more and the seven sisters definitely ties into that but as i i adapted this this version as i said the uh may l o'brien and sue wyatt version which i uh will give the link to in the description which i spoke about before but that was specifically the Australian and the Aboriginal version. Um, so naturally, afterwards, I w- did a little bit more digging and tried to find more versions of it. Um, I should say, like, there almost should have been a... I hope you don't feel like there's a trigger warning before that, but there's no doubt that the the story is uncomfortable to a degree. And there is an incredible sexual aggression to this story. And when I read this version and felt that uncomfortability and spoke to a few other people about it and told it to a few people and felt this discomfort that some other people had while I was reading it. I um, I 
it didn't take a lot to realize. I, I thought of what this person and what the curator in the art gallery had said to me that this was a female version and there was a male version. And he specifically said, you can hear, before I'd even read the story, before I even knew what it was about, he said, you can hear some really despicable versions of this. And I don't think it takes much more imagination to see how you could have a very, very sinister and even more sinister possibly than it already is version of this legend. And even in the Greek version, well, the the Greek myths, which are very notoriously and famously and infamously incredibly sexually aggressive, and there is countless stories of awful debaucherous acts committed by the gods and by other mortals on behalf of the gods and for the gods and all of that. So you have their version of it, which has Orion himself just alone hunting these sisters eternally. And we see the constellation of Orion's belt. It's even if you're not, if you know nothing about astronomy, those are three stars that most of us know. Maybe we just know that from the first Men in Black movie, but they are three of the most prominent stars in the sky. You see those those three, that belt, which forms the constellation of this greater hunter. But other than that, I mean, I know the name the Big Dipper, but I wouldn't know it in the, si- in the sky. I know Polaris, the North Star, which I only know from like pirate lore, like Treasure Island. Um, and the Seven Sisters is just another constellation that I'd heard of. But they are right beside Orion, and there is a much more sexually aggressive, um, sinister version of that story in Greek mythology, as you can very clearly see there could be in another version of this Aboriginal tale. Um, but my further reading on it, you know, discovered this other, the Subaru fun fact is very, very interesting that Subaru is this Japanese word for unity and that that's where the car company, the Japanese car company got their name from and look at their logo, which is something I'd never looked up. I've never owned a Subaru, no one in my family or I've never known anyone who's owned one. Um, look at their logo and you will see that their logo is six stars they are six the six sisters with the seventh one not even trailing behind perhaps she's on that logo in indistinguishable to the human eye um but an incredible tidbit there of like that story in japanese culture but ultimately it being this greek astronomy look and this theory probably provable i mean again i don't know anything about astronomy um but that they can tell from the trajectory of these stars. These six sisters apparently burn brighter in the sky because they're going to have a much, much shorter lifespan than, for example, our own sun, which will survive uh, however many million, billion years. But the six sisters apparently will only live for a, a few more million years before they burn out. Again, it seems like a long, long out of time, but apparently quite short in the life of the star. They're roughly about 411 light years away from Earth, apparently, and so that's incredibly bright for them to be burning. Um, but obviously, from the trajectory that they're they're forming, they've been able to see that one of the brighter sisters has another one directly behind it and that a hundred thousand years ago this would have been further away and would have been distinctly visible even to the naked eye a time long before astronomy a time before long before most things in in human evolution 
but not before the naked eye, not before humanity. So this wonderful concept and this wonderful, even if it's a slightly far-fetched, which it doesn't even seem to be because you're getting to root it in some kind of science, that this story could be up to 100,000 years old. Um, and what an incredible accident to happen upon because I wanted to do this story to touch on the fact that I've been in Australia for so long now and have been here so many times and try and find a window a more a window I can have more of a, a hand in in terms of like an Irish an Irish Australian series of folklore mythology which again if anyone knows of any or has any sources I'm on the hunt for such tales at the moment myself but I want it felt right to do even a touch in I wouldn't even begin to appropriate this culture of course and um hope that this will only be seen as as me wanting to celebrate and raise even just a little bit of knowledge or connection between all these different countries and cultures mythologies and folklore that this seemed like a beautiful window in um and i think i was also particularly interested in it because it's celestial it concerns the heavens and the skies which notably celtic mythology certainly doesn't really at all i'm trying to think of any irish tale that like where it leaves the the corporeal plane we have the other world we go into another world we don't go up into the heavens into the skies so it was really nice to go to go sci-fi on it for just a minute this ancient cultures going up and down into the heavens and the skies because the skies the heavens have always been above the stars and space is always above and always all around so it was incredible it was a lovely touch to dip a toe into another culture's mythology um, especially one that seems to be so universal and exists in so many different cultures. Who knows, I might even find an Irish version of this at some point. That'd be really cool, wouldn't it? Um, but also to have a story that concerned the stars as well. Um, and what more, what better could you ask for episode 177 than a story about the Seven Sisters? But with that, I am going to wrap things up. Um, let me, as always, know any of your thoughts. This is, if nothing else, a very stimulating story. I, I certainly feel... And yeah, I hope you'll do more reading on it yourself and buy this uh, incredible book, especially if you have uh, younger kids, although I'm a big kid and I still really enjoyed it. The artwork in it is really beautiful as well. Um, it has as well at the end, because um, it has a few sentences in this Wangotha dialect of uh, this Aboriginal language, and it has um, a little word chart and like how to say these sentences and how to say these certain words um which again is a part of this being a part of the educational process of teaching young children some aboriginal words um to try and make an effort to unify the very very complex and awful history um between australians and the the aboriginal people um i actually did get another book as well in that mason gallery um of just like little, a little like alphabet and little just words of Aboriginal because I just would naturally be very, very interested in in languages and all the different cultural things. Um, and if you hear these Aboriginal dialects and languages being spoken, um, it is unlike anything to my ear anyway that I've heard as well. So really nice to see how that's written and a little brief even guide of how that's pronounced. Um so yes, this whole episode is basically dedicated, I'm so sorry I can't remember his name, but it was the Mason Gallery in uh, Darwin um, 
to that incredible man for speaking to us and for explaining so much and for even enlightening a little bit of my vast, vast ignorance on this incredibly complex issue and complex people. Um, so thank you to that uh, unknown soldier. And with that, I'll wrap things up. Next week, we're going to dive back into the Fenian cycle, but uh, we will see over the next couple of weeks where the folklore journey goes to see if this could be a starting point, see if I can f- get my wish uh, to find some stories of the Irish, the Irish-Australian experience um, to keep it more rooted in what we can talk about and what we have experienced on this podcast. But yeah, as always, I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know your thoughts. Please do follow me on Instagram at FarsideBard. Email me at thefarsidebard at gmail.com. Order my book, Garden Sea, at uh, headstuff.org. In paperback, we can ship all around the world. Or the Kindle version is available on Amazon. Links are in the description below. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.